Hello and welcome to the Rev It Up Podcast, helping entrepreneurs fill up their tanks, crank up the RPMs, and put the pedal to the metal until they cross that finish line. Hello, I'm Jess Tiffany. Ready, set, go. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have Bill Dolan with us today. He's an Emmy-nominated TV and video director. Uh, with over 10,000 productions. Holy smokes, that's a lot. And author, uh, speaker, uh, and uh, his book, current book, as you can see in the background, if you're on, uh, on video, The Seven Disciplines of Relationship Marketing, 7DRM. So welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks, Jess. It's great to see you. Awesome. So uh, curious about, uh, obviously, I was uh, reading a little bit about you, and, and it says you you died, and then that led to uh, this amazing book that you wrote. Well, yeah, yeah, that usually tends to be the first thing people want to know about is, heck, you died. It's one of those unique unique elements about my life, and wow. and I can just tell you, the, the short version is this. It was so incredible. I wish everybody could die and then come back. <laughs> because it would change your life, totally change your life. And, and, and you're right, it, it changed my life in the fact that, yeah, I, I've worked in the TV, the entertainment, the marketing space for many, many, many years. Um, and, uh, you know, the one thing about being in that space is it's fun, it's exciting, it's invigorating, it's, it's cool. Um, and it's a great chase, it's a constant chase. It's a chase for ratings. It's a chase for eyeballs, which, by the way, I would say is the new currency. You know, uh, more important than dollars are eyeballs. And because we now have business models that can turn eyeballs into large sums of cash, uh, if that is the desire, if you want. And that's one of the things that you see is that chase for eyeballs, in our case, the chase for ratings, because if we got ratings, that means uh, people watched our product. I could sell that to advertisers and advertisers would pay us sums of money proportional to the eyeballs we delivered. Um, and you know, there's, it's a traditional business model. It's an understandable business model. But after my death experience, it was abundantly clear that I had spent the better part of my life trying to score the transaction, score the deal, uh, Ultimately, and we made good money doing it, but after my death and then coming back, I realized that while transactions are necessary, they're necessary to conduct business, the greatest thing that I can deliver in this world is not what goes into my account, but what I deposit into the accounts of others, Mm -hmm. and that's transformation. And so I don't dismiss transactions but I recognize the power of changing my life in our structures and our business structures in ways that our life 24 seven, not just from nine to five, but every minute of every day that we are given the gift of breath, we have an opportunity to bring transformation, to bring hope, to bring healing, to, to bring outcomes, to elevate people, to help people do what they do better and to impact more lives. And there's a multiplying power when we think more in terms of paying it forward than we do of just paying it in our pocket. And that was a big change for me. 
Wow, that's that's yeah, that's that's really deep. <laughs> um, wow, yeah, it just totally um, makes sense about you know depo- making deposits and and impacting people's lives in a positive way. Um, so, so how how did you die? I guess I don't, I don't maybe I missed that. Oh yeah, I, I actually didn't go into the gory details. It's oh. really not that gory. Um, I'll give you the backstory. You know, after I, I worked full time in in regular broadcast television, I left to start my own agency. And when I did, um, that's when things started to explode for me in terms of opportunities and travel and working with, you know, big names and big entertainers and um, doing a lot of really cool projects. And um, I can honestly say that while I was living what most people would consider a dream life, um, I was turning into an absentee husband and an absentee father. Uh, I had married my high school sweetheart when we were very young, and we have five incredible kids that I'm madly in love with. And uh, I was gone a lot, a lot. And um, it was sometimes in the swirl of activity when your world is spinning, even if it's a beautiful kind of spinning, it's easy to lose perspective. And it's easy to lose sight. Uh, In fact, I would say I was one of those people, like a lot of folks, that was seduced by the illusion of movement. That sometimes the idea of just going, 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 and that you know, that validation in our own head that, oh, I'm so busy. And if I'm busy, I must be important. If I'm important, I must be loved. If I'm loved, I can love myself. You know, there's a whole trail, psychological trail that goes with this little nugget that says, if I'm busy, and I was busy, but I was just starting to recognize the price that my family was paying and I was paying. And I'd start thinking about a different model. And a friend of mine, Um, had approached me because he had produced a very successful series of documentaries and learned about the distribution model and and targeting key markets for it. And he approached me about documentary. I said, that would be great because, you know, you do a documentary, it can be a passion project, but there's a market for it. And and, uh, guess what? After you pour yourself into the production and then the subsequent promotion, if you get a right distribution partner, you really walk out to the mail and get checks, you know, revenue checks from uh, royalties. And I thought if I do that and pace myself out, I could start stepping into a different stream of income that would still honor my passion, um, do things that are meaningful and maybe be around for my kids. So this was my first full documentary. And we picked up a distributor in Nashville who uh, reached out and said, look, we like your work. In fact, if you'll fly to Nashville, we'll sign up the papers for this and get the contracts together. And we want to give you a very large deposit check for the rights to distribute. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've hit the gold mine. This is going to be it. So I remember it was uh, January 28th, 1999. And uh, uh, I hopped on a plane with my best buddy, Timothy Greenidge, who's really an incredible gospel singer. He was going to Nashville for some other business and performance stuff. And Timothy and I traveled a lot because we did a lot of shows with big names together. He was like an, also an audio engineer genius. And we get on the plane thinking, today, my life is going to change. 
Today, it's going to be different and better than I could ever have imagined. And I hopped on that plane in the window seat, looking out over the wings as we took off from Portland International Airport. And about 20 minutes in the flight, I started to feel strange. And I couldn't put my finger on it because I'm never, ever sick, ever, ever. But that morning, I felt a little queasy and actually felt a little tired. And it's almost as if things were closing in on me. And as it did, I, I remember, I, for those of you flown, most of you, I'm sure, there's that little bag in the front seat in front of you. And I remember looking at that bag going, no, not the bag. No, not the bag. And, um, and I actually didn't get sick, sick, but it got so weird. And I could put my finger on it. I turned to Timothy and I said, Timothy, something's not right. That's the last thing I said before my eyes rolled back in my head, my arms flopped by my side and my heart stopped. Oh, wow. Now, uh, Timothy didn't know formal CPR, but he knew like chest compressions. And so as he described it to me, he began just hitting me in the chest and trying to get me to come to. And Timothy's a big guy. I mean, he could play in the NFL, um, just a, a giant guy. And I, uh, uh, I'll just say, have this leprechaunish Irish frame. So I'm sitting there like taking these hits from my dear, my best friend, Timothy, and nothing's happening. So he picks me up and he puts me in the aisle and he begins hitting my chest again and trying to do compressions. And as Timothy described it to me, he said he was just at the point that he was pulling back his fist and he's ready to break my ribs. And as he pulled back, I took a breath. Well, it ultimately resulted in a emergency landing. And I ended up in the cardiac wing back on the West coast And I was diagnosed with malignant neurocardiogenic syncope. So I I don't have a bad heart. I I didn't have a heart attack, anything like that. It's kind of like a cousin to to feigning, except what happens is malignant means you can die from it. Mm -hmm. Neuro's brain, cardio's heart, and syncope means out of sync. And I have a, a syndrome that under the right circumstances, my brain gets confused and tells my heart to stop. Oh, wow. And it's bizarre. It's crazy. They found a way to test for it and they don't know what causes it, but what they do. In fact, I, I have something right here. We'll show and tell. <laughs> they put this in your chest. Oh wow! This was my first pacemaker. Yeah. And this little guy goes into monitor mode and, and it checks my heart rate. And if my heart rate goes below a certain threshold, it triggers it and raises my heart back up to just above a normal rate. And then it pauses and makes sure I'm still breathing and it's working. Otherwise it will kick in again. And the thing is, is that um, still haven't figured it out, but I, I have my second pacemaker in my chest and six times a day, my heart rate gets to a dangerous level that it needs to intervene. Wow. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Yes, does it work? I'm here talking to you. That's mm-hmm. great. But here's the thing that's so important is that it, it means that since my death and after this episode, I go to bed every night thankful. 
that I was given the gift of another day. And it gives me that moment to reflect and say, did I use this day in a way, just in case, what if it were my last? Did I tell the people in my world that I love them? Did I give that, even that stranger respect and honor? And did I use my life instead of just conducting a transaction did I deliver some form of transformation in another life or a business or an organization? And I can take that breath and go to bed at night, knowing that if I die tonight, I will have fulfilled that purpose that, that is within me. And then I, when I get up in the morning, I go, oh my gosh, I've been given the gift of another day. How will I use this day? Will it be just to get my check boxes done, to get my tasks done, you know, eat, go to the bathroom, do the lawn, whatever it is? Or will I have been given another privilege to be a transformational force in this world for one more day? Hey everybody, Jess here. What if I could help your company find over $100,000 in hidden revenue streams in less than an hour without spending an extra dime on advertising or marketing? Reach out to me at cardzap.thebumpcard.me. Check out the video on Five Steps to Profit and also reach out and we can have a conversation. Thank you. And that's how I get to start my day with that thankfulness and anticipation, knowing that probably six times a day, this little guy's going to have to kick in because I'm on the verge of death. Wow. But here's the best part. When you live on that edge, your life is so rich, so rich. The idea that, that the things we take for granted, that you can take your next breath is a gift that you get to use as a gift to others. And that's a game changer. It literally makes me giddy. Giddy. Is it something I treat with reverence? Absolutely. But it's not a downer. It is a springboard to a better life, a a better business, a better family, whatever it is, a better you. And that's the game changer. And of course, you know, it... You know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a theologian, anything like that. I'm a TV marketer. I'm a a entertainment guy. I've lived in the world of helping people tell their stories and to do it well. And so I took what I've learned about life and I began digging really deep into my, my heart, my faith, my philosophy, my belief systems, and what I learned working with some of the biggest names in entertainment, some of the biggest companies in the world. And that's where I discovered the seven disciplines. Because that's where I realized there's a secret formula here that has been practiced for centuries, that not only the framework of good marketing, but they are a framework for creating a movement and creating real transformation in the world. So that's, that's the story of my death. That's the springboard oh, where oh, we are. Yeah. Well, that's powerful. I, I, that story is very, t- very touching. And, and the realization of the, you know, the, the daily reminder of, 
you know, what's important and, and staying focused on that is, um, yeah, we definitely need to learn from that and, and apply that type of mindset. It's, it's really powerful. Um, so, uh, I was gonna say the only thing I've had even close, uh, was, um, many, I don't know how many years, maybe 10 years ago or 12 years ago, something like that. Um, I, I only had one kid at the time, I think, and we were at a, at the public zoo, um, here in Minnesota and, um, one, one of the, one of the zoos, um, and uh, a kid got grabbed, pulled into the cougar cage. Wow! And um, and I don't I don't know I didn't even think I just I turned my kid around somehow I knew not to let my kid see and then I literally I just sprinted and jumped the fence and got in there and I was about maybe maybe a foot from the the kid and the and the cougar by the time but the dad also was up there fighting you know trying to get the kid back. It was it was like a he he grew through his hands through the fence. You know, and, and the fence apparently could flex a little bit enough where they set the kid up for a picture. And I think he, you know, made a step back or something, but just enough where the cougar could catch it with like two of its claws and it pulled it in um, to the fence. And, uh, you know, anyway, but I was just, you know, my kind of takeaway from, you know, jumping in there and trying to, you know, help was just, just like, wow, if I'm, you know, without even thinking, I'm willing to do this for my kid or for somebody else's kid, what would I do for my own kids? And that kind of has been a kind of a, I've kind of used that as a motivator for my, myself kind of, you know, that, you know, when I want to make those phone calls, you know, it's easier if I go, it's, it's safe. It's, you know, it's, it's much easier and safer than running after <laughs> some wild cat or something, you know, but um, I mean, I know it's not anywhere close, but, uh, but that's, oh, that's big. That's big. You basically put your life on the line yeah. and it is, it's a, it's a defining moment. Yeah. It's definitely a defining moment. Yeah, it definitely made me like, it's like I knew myself better a little bit after that. I don't know if that makes sense or, or what I really want, you know, uh, my motivations, but, um, but anyway, yeah, I just, I can't imagine, you know, dying and then dying, almost dying six times a day constantly. I mean, just, wow. Um, anyway, um, I probably should get on to something, some other topic, but that was, uh, that was pretty powerful. Um, so if somebody um, is trying to, um, you know, move their business forward, I know, um, and, and, you know, create some more revenue. Um, is there maybe an example or two that of, of a way you'd have done that in the past? Well, you know, I, I it's funny, I just got off of some client calls. And, and one of the things I think, entrepreneurs tend to do is that they tend to be competitive. Um, we have goals. Um, and, and we've learned that uh, there's all these mantras about taking action. Okay. We're going to take action, you know, which is good because a lot of people don't take action. So the idea of taking action versus not is a good thing. The thing that's so important is what kind of action you take. And, and uh, uh, I was referencing, you know, here in, here in Portland, we live in the land of Nike. And I was working yesterday with one of the Nike pro athletes on a project. And the, the difference between being the winner and the loser, not just because you can run fast, but it's the foundation on which you run. Now, they would say certainly the shoe and that's the other, but it's also the track. What's your foundation? For example, I could take a world-class athlete and we could put them on a track, set the clock and say, go and watch them perform with brilliance and in 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 awe and wonder take the same athlete and put them on sand mm. and make them say go 
<laughs> and watch the difference in their performance. Would they still burn a lot of energy? Would they flail and do all the things? Would sand fly ever? Absolutely. Um, but would they get the outcomes that you'd get on a firm foundation? Right. No, you don't. And that's probably the biggest thing is and it's the first actually discipline of the seven disciplines is the idea of clarity on your mission, your purpose, your vision, your goals, um, where you're calling. See the, 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 uh, the opposite of that is to be seduced by the illusion of movement. And to think that if I just go, 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 go. Uh, in fact, when I was younger and, and uh, uh, I guess had less perspective, I used to say, I don't always know where I'm going, but I always make good time. <laughs> and I think a lot of businesses do that. And so if I were to say tip number one mm. is foundational, is follow this first discipline, and that is get clarity of the mission. In fact, what I, I, I have two things in my book I refer to, and if anybody's interested, they can go to 7drm.com, and I've got free downloads. If you don't buy the book or anything, you still get some of the worksheets that will really help. The first one is really what I call uh, your authentic purpose compass, and it's just a tool to really get clarity on the trajectory of of where you are and where you really feel called to be based upon three converging elements. One has to do with passion um, and making sure that it's not a false passion. I refer to that in the book because a lot of us have false passions. Um, and one of those passions, by the way, is to be loved. It's not a bad passion, but what happens is in our desire to be loved or accepted and it's probably safe to say that all of us have experienced some level of rejection and some extreme levels of rejection. And, um, and sometimes that's by others. Sometimes it's by ourselves and, and imposter syndrome or comparing ourselves with others. And that is so devastating that one of the things that, that a lot of people do is that they will pr pursue a passion that they believe will cause them to be loved. And in many cases, like we attach, look, if you're in business, again, you're in business. If you're in business, you're supposed to make a profit. You're supposed to make money. You're supposed to grow their organization. Those are prerequisites of what a typical business needs to do to at least stay functional and sustainable. Those are, I won't argue with those. But to the degree that how much money I make becomes a measure of how much I love myself, that's a tragic error that a lot of us made. I've made that to believe I make more money. Now I'm more valuable. Therefore, others will love me. Therefore, I will love me. Right. And that is not an unworthy objective to be profitable, but it is a false passion if we're pursuing things really for the wrong motivations versus true passions. And so, one of the exercises really has to do with clarity about what your real passions are. But the next thing has to do with an honest assessment of your aptitudes. Because there's a lot of people that I'm passionate about this and I'm passionate about that. And even if I have the right passion, okay, I'm going to do this. You have to test against your aptitude. Hmm. And um, there are people that pursue passions for which they don't have aptitudes. 
And it takes them a while to realize that really a passion without aptitude really should be a hobby, not a business. And so when you get that clarity, that's powerful. But on the flip side, if you're one of those people that you're pursuing things for which you have aptitude, but you have no passion, really what you've done is just created a job for yourself. Oh, right. And so they go hand in hand, passion, aptitude. So when you get clarity about that for yourself, it's so foundational. And there's a third light to that. And it really has to do with experience because experience is the life that you've had so far tells a story. And each one will tell the story about aptitude, about passion. And when you converge those things together, you start to get a trajectory about what your real authentic purpose is and not a false purpose is. And that leads to the next thing. And, and that is, I encourage every business and every person to go to the exercise of building a mission manifesto. And that mission manifesto consists of these ingredients. First one is purpose. Ask the question, why am I here? And why, does, why do I have this business? Or why do I have this organization? The next thing, and that's really important, there's exercises that I encourage you to go through that really gets past the surfacey stuff. Because most people, this is hard. It's not easy to do because it requires you to sometimes peel away layers that maybe you didn't even know. But when you do that, it's incredible. And that, the next thing, is when you understand that purpose, then that leads to missions. Notice, Jess, I said missions, not mission. There's a lot of organizations, they mix purpose and mission. And if you look at like military organizations, they might say, look, our objective, our purpose is to win the war or set these people free or bring democracy, whatever. See, that's our purpose. But to do that, they require multiple missions. You know, what will be the mission here today? What will be the mission here tomorrow? And you can tell a mission in part because where a purpose is usually a life calling, a mission is something that you can say mission accomplished. Okay. Because it's a piece that you're using as a bridge to the fulfillment of your purpose. And uh, in fact, uh, one of, I, I grew up Catholic and so I, I was raised by Jesuits. And, and uh, so we spent a lot of time looking about the life of Jesus. And of course, after a death experience, I'll say that if you weren't a little spiritual before, trust me, you'll get a little spiritual. And um, one of the things that's fascinating about the life of Jesus is that if you actually break down his stuff, and I really do break it down even in my book, he had 26 missions, Mm. 26 missions. And so the idea of thinking, look, I need to do this. This is mission critical. This is mission critical. And we get confused or we dismiss it or reduce it to a task because we think I only need one mission. Look, you probably need a bunch of them and then you need to prioritize them relative to uh, the timing, the role they play, the prerequisite they play to the other one for the fulfillment of your purpose. That's critical. Then there's goals. What does that look like from setting goals? And I talk about the difference between uh, aspirational goals versus achievable goals. And, and then I talk about values, which are foundational. We go through an exercise there. But the, the last element of your mission manifesto, and I encourage everybody to do this, is vision. And the, the term vision really means you can see it. Um, a lot of 
uh, of people will put like a narrative, like a period. We're going to eliminate, um, you know, uh, leg cramping in our lifetime or something like that. You know, I'm not saying that's one of them. It's not one of mine, but, <laughs> but you know, what is our vision? And let me tell you uh, uh, where vision is really good is think about when you were a little kid and you, and someone gave you a puzzle. Cause I always put together a puzzle and like life, it's more than a 500 piece or a thousand means you're like 5,000 piece puzzle. It's a big honking puzzle. But the first thing you do is you look at the cover Mm, because these pieces make sense. You still might not know everything, but the pieces make sense when you know what the cover looks like. Right. And what happens is most people do it backwards. They start accumulating pieces and then try to figure how I'm going to push them together to make it work. Or even worse for me in the marketing area and I'm, you know, doing my early years in television, we sold advertising. Every television station is really in the business of selling advertising. Right. And guess what our salespeople said? Everybody needs a TV commercial. <laughs> you know, you got hemorrhoids, you need a TV commercial. Right. Selling cars, you need a TV commercial. You want to, you know, it's like it all led to a TV commercial. <laughs> and so what we want to do is not be distracted by all those people saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. You know, you have to make a decision whether that piece of the puzzle fits in your puzzle mm. for this season. Yeah. And the only way you get that clarity is by getting vision of what the cover of the box looks like. Mm. And as a leader, whether you're leading yourself or you're leading a large organization, the more you can have absolute clear about that vision. It not only brings everybody on the same page, but it removes distraction because you can say that piece doesn't go in my puzzle. And you can say it lovingly and respectfully. Yeah. Um, but also when things come in, you can say, I know where that piece goes. I need that. And I know where that goes. And that's how great organizations are built. Okay. You know, so it's not backwards. Grab the pieces, figure it out get the picture, accumulate the pieces, make the puzzle and do something profound. Oh, wow. That, that's true. However, being a kind of a sales guy a little bit, I do have to say everybody does need a book and everybody does need a good LinkedIn profile. So no, I'm just no, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't, I think there's real value in it. And I, yeah, I, I, I bow to you in your expertise in this area, because this is a very, deliberate and practical tactic for people building a personal brand or people building an organizational brand. So feel free to go ahead and say that because I know it's not for everybody, That's but for a lot of people, this is really practical. Yeah. yeah. If you're an Instagram influencer, you probably don't need to be a LinkedIn influencer too, but, but it doesn't hurt, you know? So yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, no, I just was being silly, but oh man, wow, that was, that was great um, about how you laid out the whole, you know, puzzle, the picture, the imaging, you know, having, you know, being able to see where you want to go and then being able to put the pieces in the right spot without as much struggle and trying to smash things together that don't fit. So, um, so Bill, uh, before we go, can we remind us where to get your book um, and where to find you online and, and reach out to you? Well, 
following the incredible advice that you have, Jess. I am on LinkedIn and I'm going to get better at posting more regularly. We're just so blessed with a lot of incredible projects and things we're doing with uh, producing videos, producing a lot of virtual events, our agencies producing tons of virtual events right now. And, uh, and that's really exciting because really virtual events are interactive internet television. Mm. A lot of people think, Oh, it's about sticking a picture up. We're taking all of our skills that we learned by directing the black eyed peas and Gwen Stefani, all that doesn't mean we have to blow up everything and make it all big. It's taking the best of communication and turning it into experience that's meaningful, engaging and professional and grows a brand. So we're doing a lot of virtual events um, and then telling people's stories and doing, doing that, that messaging. And um, so our agency right now, a spirit media is a spiritmedia.com. If, if those are the kind of the tactical things that, that you feel that you need for your organization, as far as my book goes, I uh, have it available on Amazon. So you can look up seven DRM on amazon.com. And we do have the book, we have the Kindle and we have the audible and, or you could go simply to seven DRM.com because that'll have links to Amazon, but I also put some worksheets there. So if you're in a place where you say, I want to apply some of these things, it's just a way to help you facilitate that journey of getting clarity on your mission, clarity on your markets, clarity on your messaging Mm. and clarity on the tactics that you need to use to be a more effective personal brander, personal business person, whatever it is you're called, trust me, this works for I've got clients, publicly traded clients. I've worked with some of the biggest businesses in the world and small businesses. Guess what? These disciplines all work. They really do. Awesome. Yeah, make sure everybody go get his uh, book. Um, for me, I know it'll more, more, more likely be an audible because that's kind of how I've been rolling the last couple of years. I used to read all the time and now I listen to audio, listen more than I read. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of crazy, but... Um, but now we don't drive as much, so I have to, you know, take time and make sure I listen, uh, get, get my daily dose of, uh, knowledge and, and whatnot. So, um, but, um, but thank you everybody for listening today. We sure appreciate you. Make sure you like subscribe and, uh, make sure you go get Bill, Bill's book and we will see you on the next show. Thanks everybody. Thanks Jess. Take care. Thanks.